Hello and welcome to episode 328 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi. And listeners, uh, maybe you've noticed a pattern in the past couple of months. Um, I am bringing back a concept from Retro Encounter of years past and uh, and doing a new take on it. This time it is the Adaptations episode, the third of which is uh, we're going to talk about in a second, but the first two of which were, for, were in 2018 and 2020. I was in that 2018 episode and it was a lot of fun and we decided to bring it back for 2022. But let's introduce the panel first. Uh, returning from the 2020 version of, of the Adaptations episode, Audra Bowling. Hello, hello. And brand new to Retro Encounter Adaptations, Wes Island. Hey, everybody. Audra, Wes, myself, we have a lot to discuss, uh, but the gist of it is um, we're going to talk about our um, some of our favorite uh, intellectual properties, be they from literature, uh, film, other video games, something else, and, uh, and discuss what would be a dream adaptation of that IP. Uh, and we're um, going to try and avoid... Uh, 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 stories that we've used in the previous two RPG adaptations episodes. And we're also fitting in this episode with a written feature about the same idea that should be, uh, we, and we haven't finished posting it um, on the website at time of recording because we're recording this a little bit in advance. But around the same time this episode airs, there should be a written feature that's something like, oh, I don't know, something like like 20 concepts written by about 15 writers from rpg fan that uh it's definitely will be worth a read once it's uh ready in its finished form and this uh episode is meant to accompany that somewhat so uh and, and the previous two episodes weren't exactly the same but um the idea is each of us we're gonna go around uh we're gonna go around the horn and uh each of us present an idea of a intellectual property or, or so, you know, some story or some fictional universe that we love, that we would love to have as an, to playable as an RPG. And then maybe a, a little, an idea or two about what kind of RPG it might be. So uh, do we understand the, I, the concept? I think so. Yeah, sure do. So, so uh, who wants to go first? Um, so I have one, uh, property on my list that is a previously existing video game has been out there could arguably say some rpgs have been made uh, of this property which is romance of the three kingdoms and specifically you know koei's dynasty warriors take on romance of the three kingdoms um now there's an argument that can be made that i have made in the past for uh warriors games being like action rpgs in their own way yeah we have we have covered a couple of them on rpg fan but i i, I think it's because we had a writer specifically interested in talking about them as RPGs. <laughs> and and a, a few of the spinoffs like uh, Persona Strikers and Dragon Quest Heroes 2 are like meant to be RPGs. Like they are um, oh, yeah. advertised as action RPGs. Like Fire Emblem. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, anytime they have an RPG property, they're like, okay, let's make this a proper RPG. I, yeah, we covered this as well. But yeah, but, but, but you, the, these Koei uh, quote warriors unquote games are sort of all in the same Muso family that really yes. started with with uh, Dynasty Warriors and, I don't know, maybe Kessen? Is, is, is Kessen before Dynasty Warriors? Uh, yeah, I think Kessen was... It was close, but I think it was after, because the original Dynasty Warriors, the franchise started with, like... I mean, it'd be Romance of the Three Kingdoms and the Dynasty Warriors on the PS1, which was a fighting game. Right. Kessen, Kessen was a PS2 game, so I'm... Yeah. I'm I, I, my Toei time... I'm sorry, Koei timeline. We'll talk about <laughs> Toei later, I promise. Yes. My, my, my Koei timeline is a little twisted, but uh, please continue. 
Yeah, Ko- Koei loves Romance of the Three Kingdoms, and there's a good reason. It's a really interesting, you know, historical, legendary, fictional, you know, sort of in between a whole bunch of things story with all of these like grand characters. And Dynasty Warriors has done such a good job of making these over the top characters into like, you know, fan favorites. So you can you can latch on to one or two of your favorites and really learn to love that character. But um, the closest they've ever come to an RPG is a game called Dynasty Warriors God Seekers, which was a tactical RPG, and it took the same tact that so many games take and that it's like this fantastical version where everything crosses over and there's alternate histories and there's a magical angel who who makes all of the plot happen and that's not what i want that's not like the property that i'm looking at i want that traditional romance of the three kingdoms story but in like a proper meaty story-based turn-based rpg where like lengthy cutscenes going you know in depth about these characters isn't out of place and where like you can even just focus on a single one of these three kingdoms and really drill in um because there there are certain kingdoms that like you know you can make an entire rpg off of just a part of the major characters you know in that kingdom all right now i I only know a little bit about romance of the three kingdoms but it's it's one of the I, I want to say four Chinese novels that is stu- that is studied incredibly intensely, like like the, the same way that a, that a Western cultures might fu- might study the Iliad or the Odyssey, and it ha- has been told and retold in film and video game and other adaptations so many times. There are hundreds of characters, and and the Dynasty Warriors games have been, oh boy, I I, I want to say including the Legends and Empires spinoffs. <laughs> there, there's there's been maybe 25 of them yeah and maybe a few oh, more wow. um depending on how you count it there are even more spinoffs <laughs> right I, I mean, yeah I, and again there's uh um I, I think the japanese title is san goku muso or r- yeah. roughly three kingdoms uh uh infinity or whatever muso means and yeah. then you have sengoku muso about the sengoku period in japan um and then we mentioned some of them but in an insane number of spinoffs it, it has sort of become an, almost the like the series or the kind of game that defined Koei to a degree, but yes. like like replacing those really really silly short cutscenes <laughs> from <laughs> Dynasty Warriors with sort of more like story focused plot focused cutscenes that's maybe focusing on only one kingdom or a small group of characters would probably serve that game better because I I almost yeah. feel like when I play Dynasty Warriors at at a friend's house because I've done that many times but I don't I haven't really gotten deep into any of them solo. Uh, they sort of assume you know more than what the game is telling you yes. and just throw 75 characters at you and sort of have an idea of what they're about without it's and it, it's it's always confusing to me and I, and I could probably explain the plot of eight fighting games more than I can explain <laughs> the plot of a uh, of of dynasty warriors but they are fun and yeah. as, as, especially if you don't really get weary from you know, I don't know, picking Lubu and swinging a giant halberd, hitting head, hitting twenty <laughs> uh, soldiers at once. I, I don't think Lubu should be the starring uh, the star of this game either. Like, if anything, Lubu is a is a is is a mid game boss that's a little bit too hard for being a mid mid game boss kind of kind of vibe. Um, but uh, West, do you imagine this being adapted by Koei and that team, or having someone else hit it? I think they're capable of it, but I think there are other teams that would do it better. Um, it's hard for me to summon up, you know, who would be the right fit. Uh, unfortunately, not something I, I pre-thought about. Um, because the the big thing with them is that they did start with like this story focused approach and Dynasty Warrior 7 and Dynasty Warriors 8. There's a little bit more and the cutscenes that they put out are 
pretty solid, but they still, like, like you said, they expect you to understand some of it already. They expect you to meet them halfway um, and don't necessarily introduce every single character perfectly, but they've shown that they can do it. And they've shown that they can ha- make like competent turn-based games with the number of tactical games and whatnot that they've made. So I think leaving it in their hands would have the benefit of like, it'll still feel like a Dynasty Warriors game. You know, you'll still have those those designs, those animations, those looks that have kind of made it something of a household name. Well, all right. Uh, Audra, do you have any uh, feelings or thoughts about Romance of the Three Kingdoms or Dynasty Warriors? Well, I've always been curious about the games, so I would love to play an RPG adaptation. (laughs) That would be my take. (laughs) All right, well, that's Audra's take, but uh, let's go with one of Audra's um, ideas for uh, an RPG adaptation. Go us and uh, and, uh, come at us with one of your ideas. Okay, well, actually, I was thinking of a graphic adventure or VN adaptation of this next one, which is a Chinese animation called Link Click. Okay, now of all the uh, ideas written down we have for this episode, this was the one I knew the least about so far. <laughs> so, so, so please explain to us what Link Click is a little bit before, uh, before going into your adaptation idea. Okay, it's a, basically it's a, about two guys and their landlord agent lady who um, they have a photo studio that is basically a front for the fact that the two guys have supernatural abilities that allow them to see into photos and actually travel back in time using them. So they pick up clients using their agent and she gets photos for them to go into and basically possess someone in the photo for 12 hours and they uncover some kind of mystery for the client that they have to solve without really trying, but they also have rules. Like they can't try to change too much of the past because bad things happen if they try to do that. And so it's really an interesting concept that I think would work well for a VN, especially a mystery VN. Yeah, that that almost sounds like a, a VN concept already. It's such a good yeah. fit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, jumping into photos almost like they're Mario sixty four paintings, but focus having them, you know, uh, be about you know timelines and uh, and mystery focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like you could easily just have each client be a chapter of the visual novel, so they could be yeah. semi standalone. I I totally see this fitting a visual novel very well despite knowing extremely little about the actual uh uh what what did you say this was was this, was this an animation or a or a, uh, a comic animation it's an animation yeah I, I despite knowing nothing about the anime or animation uh i can see that uh, idea fitting and time travel leads you to so many like really good bad endings in a visual novel yeah. which is like yeah, half the geez. fun for me in any vn is seeing all the horrible ways it can end and avoiding them. And the first season really goes on a cliffhanger ending involving that because they find a, another a killer who actually can travel through photos too. Oh, awesome. So that definitely would fit for a, a good graphic adventure. That would be quite thrilling. Oh yeah. And yeah, and you, you see like, uh, you know, you, you like feel the presence of someone else in chapter one, then that person commits a murder in chapter three, and then you have to confront confront the killer in chapter five or six. Oh yeah, I, I can I can totally see myself playing this thing for forty hours. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. I'm I'm also you know I'm I'm looking at uh, a couple of pictures now, and the art style is really striking. 
And that's such a good fit for visual novel for my money, where like you don't have to compromise the artistic vision by trying to render it in 3D a lot of the time with yeah. visual novels. So um, it would really pop. Yes, it would be awesome. <laughs> well, when, when Spike Chunsoft definitely adapts this into a visual novel in 2024, <gasps> I think you should uh, send some very strongly worded emails and try to get your cut, Audra. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> it would be, they would be perfect for it. That that was that that was the first one that came to mind for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> something like a, you know, something like a like a Zero Escape or an or a Somnium Files adapting this actually sounds super dope. Yes. But all right, uh, thank you for uh, introducing me to Link Click and definitely trying to find some sketchy torrents of it in my fu- in my near future. <laughs> um, I'm going to go into my uh, distant past for a while. Uh, w- one of my favorite series of novels. When I was very young, let's say elementary school through middle school, uh, were uh, Brian Jakes's Redwall and Mossflower books. Uh, now, I don't know how f- familiar you are with these, but they, he wrote at least 20 of them. And I, I, I lost steam. I don't know which number it was, but I'm pretty sure the last one I read was called Tagarung, which gives you an idea of how many made up words Jakes did uh, stru- like strew throughout all of these books. But it's about um, communities of, of small animals. Uh, generally the mice, squirrels, otters, badgers, and rabbits are the good guys, while rats, uh, weasels, ferrets, and a few other pest animals are the bad guys. (laughs) Um, uh, But basically uh, living in this world of uh, centered around a building called Redwall Abbey and a fortress called Salamandastron, where various mice and other animals go on adventures uh, there's, uh, you know, there, there's not really magic, but there is sort of a, a sense of destiny and and some supernatural elements in it. But mo- mostly, it's about the large scale struggles of uh, of of animals living in a semi medieval world. And the first book is called Redwall. The second book is called Mossflower, and I guess Redwall's name of the of the red, of the abbey that a lot of the mice live in, and Mossflower is the name of the general region where most of the game where most of the books take place in, and. Again, I have read. I read so many of them. I I don't exact. I'd have to check a list to see how far Tagarung is down the list. But um, they all have completely wild ideas. There's uh, one where they're looking for seven special pearls that are uh, being also being hunted down by a, a pirate fleet of sea rats. There's one about a a badger lord of the fortress Salamandastron who has a long lost twin brother that are that and both of the brother badgers are trying to kill the. Uh, uh, g- kill the warlord that killed their parents. It's <laughs> it, it gets That's... oh wow yeah the, the, the drama gets insane in these books and I thought they were the coolest thing in the world for several years and uh, for a while like everyone would come out every year and a half or so and I read all of them until I sort of lost steam but I would like if you took any of them or maybe two of them that were connected I would I would play a video game of them it would like ideally it would be stylized two D artwork. That were sort yes. of res- that sort of resembled watercolor paintings, like the covers of the books that I uh, that I really loved as a kid. Um, they, 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 I wouldn't care much about the canon of the books because the canon is pretty loose in them. Like there is a timeline, but uh, like like what's vaguely defined of the uh, as the area south of Mossflower is like diff- is wildly different in like three of the books, which always frustrated <laughs> me as a kid. It's like why is the Deep South different in in uh, leg- in Legend of Luke versus versus Matameo versus Long Patrol, it's like you get you get the idea. Like I, I would not care deeply about the canon or which book gets at ad- gets adapted, but I think that 
it's so ripe for a video game adaptation. I would be very interested in anything. But um, uh, do any of you have any of you read any, read any of these books? I have shelved quite a few of them at the library, <laughs> and they look really interesting for fantasy reads. So I've been very curious about them. Yeah, I've. I've never read any of them, but like it's it's hard to avoid. Like if you're a certain level of like involved with books, Redwall is gonna come up. <laughs> um, so like you know, I've I've seen those covers. I've I've done some research, and what interests me about this idea not only is it freaking amazing because Redwall as a setting, like even even removing the stories from it as a setting is really compelling. Um, is that there's there's a series that uh, has always been kind of heavily compared to it called Mouse Guard. That was a graphic novel series. Um, but kind of more pertinent to, to what my knowledge is, is it inspired a tabletop RPG that is much beloved, called, you know, by the same name, Mouse Guard. And it always felt to me like everyone I've talked to who loves Redwall, who's played it, has mentioned how this feels like the closest you get to a tabletop Redwall game that like fits really well. And some of the mechanics behind it, the way that, you know, characters work in it have always made me think like, yes, there is a lot of room for like a proper Redwall RPG that people could really get into, especially like. You could make your own characters in these games and have a blast, like oh, just oh, in, yeah. in character creator. <laughs> oh yeah, geez. Like, I wonder if you if you make your main character a mole, if you have to do mole speak, because mole speak <laughs> in these games are written very phonetically and and really hard to understand. And like like reading mole speak as a child made me completely prepared to read any number of a as accents. Uh, <laughs> reading books aimed at adults. And, and I, I should mention, there are some Redwall and Mossflower games. They are vaguely visual novel-esque, but they are not, they're not what I want. What I want is a just beautiful RPG with a lot of dialogue that feels like the books that I loved as a kid. And I, I think that could happen. I don't know um, what would be the right studio or right kind of game for it, but I sort of envision uh, something like uh, the UbiArt engine that... Uh, yeah, something like Child of Light Ooh. that has a that has a watercolor look and a and a yeah. storybook kind of vibe, but with mice and rats engaged in epic duels uh, and, and looking for the lost sword of Mar of Martin the Warrior. Like, I, yes, I, I, that's what I want. Maybe a more forgiving Tales of Iron. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I, this, I'm not demanding this be a, a difficult, challenging game that that tests my wits, but just 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 a storybook RPG that 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 feels like the books that isn't one of the sort of low budget um, Steam Steam adaptations is something I'd be very interested in. But uh, and yeah, I'm not surprised you shelve a lot of these at the library, Otter, because I, again, I think I, I'm making up numbers a little bit. I think there are at least twenty, and I've read something like the first twelve or thirteen. Yeah, I think there's even a cooking book. Yeah, they do, they do describe feasts lavishly in those books. Like, <laughs> okay, now you've sold me. No, almost almost every time there is a scene in a, in one of the books that will make me hungry because they just describe the I don't know. And again, again, keep in mind these are mice and hedgehogs and stuff. Like they did, they describe the 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 honey wine and all the stuff that they're eating and drinking. I think they're mostly vegetarian, other than maybe maybe pescatarian. But <laughs> it's a it's yeah it's it's a. It, they they do food very well in those books. This definitely sounds like a book series I'm going to buy, quote, for my daughter and then read <laughs> all the way through. Yeah, go for it. Um, and you can <laughs> you can almost jump into any of them and start reading. Uh, a couple of them are direct sequels, but most of them are like, yeah, there's Redwall, there's Moss Flower, the hero from 100 years ago is Martin the Warrior, blah, 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 go for it. 
so yeah, that was uh, me reminiscing about one of my favorite series of books from my childhood. Uh, uh, let's just keep the same order. Wes, what's the next uh, game or property you want to talk about? I think I'm going to left field this by uh, bringing up the only property based off of a podcast uh, that I think we'll be featuring today. <laughs> um, but this is one very rare excuse for me to talk about The Adventure Zone. Um, which is a podcast by the McElroy brothers of My Brother, My Brother, and Me fame, uh, where they play D&D with their dad, is essentially the premise that they came up with. And it started out very much like they, they make a comedy podcast, and this started out very much as a comedy podcast, um, where they were running through like one of the pre-generated D&D modules. But very quickly, they realized, oh, this is a really good way to tell stories. Veered way off of it and went into this weird, like, multi-dimensional... Um, story that is really at its core, like this heartfelt story about characters dealing with, you know, traumatic pasts and and huge events that are like galaxy spanning, but boil down to the feelings of individual humans um, that kick this off. And like as a storytelling arc, um, I've not seen many do it better. Um, even even in the crowded realm of like critical role of D and D, you know, streams and podcasts and whatnot, uh, the Adventure Zone has always stood out to a particular kind of person, just because it's such an empathetic story, and it's actually done you know a number of different um, uh, campaigns at this point. Um, I love most of them. Um, Amnesty changes up for a Monster of the Week formula, like Buffy. Most recently, Ethersea is this crazy underwater um, adventure that they they have going. But I think the original balance arc is kind of where you get the most love. It has, you know, a best-selling graphic novel. It's got the, uh, the podcast that still does numbers, uh, uh, you know, constantly. Um, but it's got this core cast of characters, not just the main player characters, but they build up this retinue around them of allies um, that are like this perfect RPG party that you can build up. And um, just being able to, like, live with those characters, especially because they have a home base called uh, the, the Bureau of Balance, where... They go back and they interact with these characters in between. They do what are called lunar interludes, as this is kind of a moon-based situation. It's it's a lot to explain. Go listen to the podcast if you want to understand <laughs> it. Um, but it gives you these. Okay, I, I was going to try so hard to avoid this, but almost like persona-like downtime moments where you can go and bond with these characters and get to know them outside of like combat. Making this, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a combat-focused RPG. Although the combat is always fun because it's a these wild spell effects and wild environmental interactions that they do as a part of the, the, the show that would be wonderful to adapt into a game as best that, as best as you could. Um, yeah, so, so it's called the adventure zone, but they are yes. not always adventuring 24 seven. They are not, they are not all adventuring. The zone is made for adventure, but there are little pocket zones where you can go chill for sure. a bit. There, there are spaces, there are spaces between the zones. You know, no one can adventure 24 seven. That's just too much. Yeah. I don't know. Adult Kristen tries. But, he really uh, does. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes he's but, unconscious because the ship got wrecked or something. Oh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> and sometimes he falls out of the sky and becomes unconscious. But, uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, enough about Adult Kristen and East. I, I am a little familiar with uh, um, the Adventure Zone and My Brother, My Brother, and Me and them McElroy boys, uh, <laughs> m- mostly because of other podcasts. They, the yeah. three of them are almost the definition of of podcasters that became successful without you know you know they weren't like a comedian turned podcaster or yeah. a uh, or an actor turned podcaster they are podcast ass podcasters yes. and and they've and I've seen them show up in a lot of places and I don't know if it, 
maybe the Adventure Zone was a pro, was a progenitor of this, but um, tabletop RPG or D and D based podcasts have become very popular over the years. Uh, yeah. you, you mentioned Critical Role, which is one of the biggest ones. Uh, Matt Mercer, the popular voice actor, is, is the main DM for it, and it even has a Netflix animated adaptation that's either out or coming soon. Yeah, it just oh, came I've out. watched. I've started watching that one. It's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, Netflix is pretty good casting a wide net of uh, of influences. It's Amazon, actually. Oh, it's, it's, it's Amazon Prime. My bad, my bad. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, I all of the streaming services conflate a little bit for me. They do. And uh, there's the, there's one there's that I like. There's too many of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, there's another one I like called Friends at the Table. That's oh, I love Friends at the Table. Austin Walker. Yeah, Austin mm-hmm. Walker of Waypoint, formerly of Giant Bomb. But uh, so like that kind of podcast has become very successful. The Adventure Zone is one of the most popular ones he- headed by, I think their story is the, the, uh, the, the McElroy father was a long time like radio producer. He so, was. Like, yes. So, yeah. So, so his three kids almost grew up and like having dinner table talk uh, discussions that were based, that were basically talk radio back and forth. Yes. So they, they, they were almost groomed to be radio men or podcasters their whole lives. And, and, and their careers are what we're enjoying now as the result of it. Um, maybe that that's maybe a little unfair to them, but, but there, there, there is a, there's a backstory to why they they're so good at what they do. And, it, and it's fascinating overlap because like, uh, the oldest brother, Justin, is one of the founders of Polygon. Griffin, the youngest, ha- had written for there. Uh, he's the source of the famous, uh, after Sea of Thieves was announced, eating a banana hole gif, you know, with a, with a skin <laughs> on. Um, that's his claim to fame. Um, and they actually have a lot of connections to these other people because Adventure Zone wasn't quite, you know, one of the first, but it was on that rising wave before it was really prominent. So, like, they were heavily inspired by Friends at the Table, Um they got a lot of inspiration for their second campaign from that. And, you know, they, they've done things with Austin Walker in the past and um, they've actually had like side episodes and bonus content, like DM'd by Matt Mercer. Like they have all of these intersections with those groups, but you know, oh, the wow. core story of adventure zone for my money has always been the most pure, like this is storytelling. This is an edited focused, like it's very different from like a critical role style. This is very much watching friends play a game and collaboratively, um, you know, enjoy each other's company in a way. Well, awesome. Uh, that was uh, the Adventure Zone idea um, uh, pushed forward by Wes and also spun off into a uh, discussion of D&D or RPG podcasts that I, I, I think was warranted <laughs> given the topic. Um, <laughs> but uh, Audra, what's your next idea for, uh, for a hypothetical RPG adaptation? Oh, it would be an action RPG adaptation of the classic anime manga Cyborg 009. Okay, now I have a lot of thoughts about Cyborg 009, but Audra, please tell us a little bit about it and and what you think an RPG of it might be like. Well, it's about nine people who are against their will turned into cyborg soldiers by a nefarious underground criminal organization called the Black Ghost, which they all have different abilities and they're trying to stop Black Ghost and other criminals from basically doing nefarious things is pretty much their main mo throughout most of the series it's a very traditional kind of superhero-esque setup yes and i could just so see it working as an action rpg especially like if you went with falcom maybe even doing a ease nine Type yeah, cause, situation because you do have potentially nine playable characters that all have very specific different silhouettes abilities attitudes everything 
Mm -hmm. So you could really make player parties that are just full of interesting abilities and unique personalities and see how everyone gets along and it would just be fun. Now I, all right, now I'm going to go a little bit um, inside baseball here. This was coming. Yeah, yeah. this was. Um, this is, I think, the oldest property on our that we're going to discuss today. Cyborg 009 is a manga originally from the 60s, um, written yes. by Shotaro Ishinomori. And Sh Shotaro Ishinomori went on to become the creator of Kamen Rider and Super Sentai, which are, again, two of my great obsessions. So, of course, I knew a little bit about him. And uh, he's also one of the most prolific manga writers ever. I think his total collected works is something like 300 volumes. Um, yeah, it's massive. It's, it, it's insane yes. how much he's written over the decades. And he started out as an assistant to Osamu Tezuka, the creator of Astro Boy and... and uh, and a bunch of other stuff. Who's and Tezuka is considered like one of the grand, like great grandfathers of manga and anime. So Ishinomori is an incredible pedigree. And Cyborg 009, I think, was his first big series or his first long running series after he was no longer Tezuka's assistant. And uh, again, it's had multiple anime adaptations over the years. There was a 2000s one that I know aired on Cartoon Network for a while. Which yes, is, that's where I first watched it, actually. I think that's where most of the West was exposed to it. I honestly. think that, that that is also how I first watched it, because um, I didn't even get into reading disgusting amounts of online manga until uh, until I was you know at university in the mid-2000s. But the fact that uh, th they could easily either adapt an existing Cyborg 009 story or make one up out of thin air uh, mm -hmm. th and then and have you know nine playable characters, each of them having a distinct a couple distinct abilities maybe have missions or dungeons like focused around one member and then you get to choose the rest of the team going into that yes. mission there's a uh, again you used made the comparison to vs9 where you have six playable characters each of each of whom has like a specific movement or uh or navigation ability that that's you know and the dungeon where you first use each character in east nine is sort of you know focused like the dungeon where the gliding guy joins you there's a lot of gliding like that that kind of yes. that kind of idea um like having cyborg 009 missions structured around specific characters and giving players some freedom in team design and combat design that does sound really really interesting and uh I mean, I mean, I really, I, I'm not a mega fan of Cyborg 009, although I am a mega fan of some of Ishinomori's later works. Uh, I would be very interested in playing a game like that. Let's say. Yes. And I think gameplay-wise, this might be the most powerful suggestion on the list in a lot of ways. Right. Like this is so <laughs> such a good fit. Like it's such a good pull. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, having like distinct fighting styles, distinct like get around the world abilities for these nine characters that are that are so distinct and interesting plenty of inter-team drama that could fit the story it totally makes sense i'm not sure how many existing cyborg 009 games there are i imagine there's at least some but an action rpg structured that way sounds super cool i'd, I'd play that in a heartbeat i would hope falcom would do it <laughs> falcom is uh is, they're they're a very busy studio Let's get a little specific with my next idea, because this is an extremely specific IP that requires a little bit of explaining. Um, I'm a big fan of the card game Sentinels of the Multiverse, which has a, uh, an, a card game. It's a card game with about a dozen expansions, and almost all of them are playable in a digital version on Steam and on mobile. So it's a, it's a very fun card, card game, and it's a, co it's a solo or co-op card game where you basically choose each player, or if you're playing solo, more you can choose more than one deck, chooses a hero deck, and you choose a villain deck to play against. 
and during the hero turns you use powers and abilities and 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 things um the, that are characteristic to your hero and uh and during the villain turns you just overturn the top card of their deck and do what's on the villain deck so like you don't need someone to play the villain it's you can have a co-op mission against a villain or uh or sort of just play solo against a villain do you understand what the concept here it's it, it, it's like a magic the gathering or uh or a deck building game like i don't know like 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 marvel legendary but it's strictly co-op um oh, wow and it's based on an original superhero universe not anything from dc dc marvel or an indie group um but <laughs> this is one thing I think is very amusing about Sentinels of the Multiverse. They have a lot of comic book covers that they use, that they do to introduce yeah. characters. Like like here's the cover of um of uh of uh I don't know, um, Legacy number 1, um but they don't actually have full comic issues. Like like there's oh. they, they they don't have comics of the Sentinels of the Multiverse, but they do have comic book fake comic book covers and descriptions that build the world a little bit. And uh, in the later expansions, they have some um, villain decks that are good guy- that are former good guys in uh, in previous expansions, and some hero decks that are former bad guys in previous expansions. It gets real crazy. And the ver- the Steam version of the game that I have has I don't know at, at least fifteen hero decks and probably ten villain decks, uh, and another ten or so environment decks. They they it gets out of control. And they they recently did a Kickstarter for a uh for a sort of remastered version of the first couple expansions that um my my best friend is buying all of and i will and i i will play with him eventually once we're more comfortable being able to uh being able able to be in the same space again sentinels of the multiverse has a rich superhero universe with a lot of cool ideas for villains and heroes and my vision for an rpg based on them is a game I, I I know one came out recently, but I really really love the old X Men Legends and Marvel Ultimate Alliance games. Oh my heart! Oh, yeah, yeah, and I, I I haven't played the recent one. I haven't played the third one, but the first four X Men Legends one and two and Marvel Ultimate Alliance one and two are just a blast because they're action games pulling from a bunch of corners of the Marvel universe. Like X Men Legends one is kind of the seventies X Men origin story. X Men Legends two combines a bunch of eighties and nineties storylines, like like Savage Land and Age of Apocalypse. But they are about celebrating Marvel's diverse collection of superheroes and throwing as many some a list some obscure villains as they can into one game. Uh, with with uh, fundamental gameplay that's pretty good and with a little bit of loot collection sprinkled in. Um, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2 kind of has the weakest story of the whole group, but has yeah. amazing co-op powers that are just that are hugely entertaining to play in multiplayer. Sent- if I could play a Sentinels of the Multiverse game, that's an action RPG that feels a little bit like those old school X-Men Legends games, because um, X-Men Legends 2 is my favorite of the whole lot, uh, I would play Same. the hell out of that. Oh, yeah. That would actually be really fun. You've got me on every level of this because uh, here's the thing, Mike. I, we found another thing that we overlap on because <laughs> I love Sentinels of the Multiverse so much. Uh, I've so actually good. got I've got the Sentinel Comics tabletop RPG book that I bought during uh, quarantine here that I'm just waiting for things to open up just enough to play a tabletop campaign in that setting because it's it's an absolute blast. It's like this. It's like distilled comics. It's like everything that's like amped up to 20 comic book wise all of the excesses of comics are played up and it's such a blast yeah and and a lot of the concepts are are pretty unique like um they have uh 
<laughs> their, their version of Thor is basically an archaeologist finding the staff of the Egyptian god Ra. And, oh. then, <laughs> and, and, and so he's like, uh, and the, like in the, an Egyptian mythology version of Thor who has, has to fight the entire rest of the Egyptian pantheon as his, as his regular villains is is just one of the like 20 main characters of this of this of, of this series they they have so many characters to pull from like so many <laughs> an incredible number and uh uh oh joe i'm just i'm just racking my brain trying to think of a uh, of one of their ideas they have a character named mr fixer who is like an ancient uh an ancient chinese master martial artist maybe maybe like an iron fist or a lady shiva or something but he's also a janitor slash superintendent <laughs> And his uh, so his abilities are like uh, so his weapons are like mops and uh, and and uh, and and wrenches and his <laughs> and uh, that would be fun. Yeah, and, and and his abilities are equipping different weapons and uh, martial arts styles and combining them to enhance your your power moves. There's so many crazy concepts and uh, that are so fun that I, I yeah an action RPG that's just uh, that just throws. 30 of these characters in somehow i would 1000 percent play and I, i've played the tabletop uh, version or i should say the the the, the card game based version uh several times with mostly the same group of friends and then the digital version thousands of times because it's a, it's very easy to just pop in play a 20 minute game and uh and pop right back out even if you only have one or two of the 100 expansions not actually 100 but but it, there's a lot of expansions online and and it's <sighs> It's such a good mix, too, of like, this could very easily just be we're aping Marvel and DC at every step. But so many of these characters are are feel wholly unique, even if they're playing off those tropes. Uh, like, my, my example is always the scholar, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, what, what kind of a wild, like, Florida Everglades wizard kind of guy <laughs> is this? Who's like this just mysterious entity who, who just looks like he, he rolled out of bed. Yeah, like like uh, imagine a uh, an extremely online person's uh, like sort of heavy set, big beard, glasses, probably pl- you know plays a lot of online card games, but he's also just a guru who uses that like like the power of the powers of of probability and uh, and, and game design. Like, like like he's he's basically like what if a what if a dungeon master was a player yes. was was a player oh, wow. in the game and could and could manipulate the rules of the world around him like 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 in between a uh, a a very stereotypical dungeon master versus actual Gandalf is what is what he is like it's that, wonderful that's, yeah that's the kind of uh, concept we're working with here <laughs> and, and again a lot of the characters in it are pastiches of an existing Marvel or DC villain like uh, like uh, oh shoot like Voss is so obviously um, Dark Side from DC Comics yes <laughs> uh, but but the but. Uh, they're fun enough and interesting enough that I would that I would uh, really like to play uh, a a more video gamey video game as video game adaptation instead of an online uh, instead of a video game version of the existing card game. <laughs> oh, that would be a dream project. <laughs> we still have a few more fun things to discuss. Uh, Wes, what is your next choice for an adaptation? Okay, uh, we're gonna go down the rabbit hole here and kind of continue the Cyborg Zero Zero Nine talk. Um, because my next choice is Common Rider. Um, and this one might require some explanation. Some, some people will know what it is. More people probably won't. Hmm. You say. <laughs> now, Mike, I know this isn't in your wheelhouse, so I'll explain it slowly for you. Thank you. Much appreciated. <laughs> um, 
Kamen Rider is a, a tokusatsu show, which is a, a genre that rose to prominence in Japan that's, you know, special effects heavy, kind of often superhero-esque, transforming heroes like you'd see in like Power Rangers or, or Super Sentai. Um, Kamen Rider uh, has a, a few gimmicks that make it unique, one being um, the rider portion where uh, they tend to ride motorcycles as a part of their hero. There's this idea where it's not just one big happy team a lot of the time. If there is more than one of these Kamen Rider heroes in uh, a series. A lot of times there's some antagonism between them. There's a lot of interpersonal drama. It's, it's this mix of melodrama with like absolute ridiculousness. The, the, the suits that these people wear um, are, are beloved because they're so over the top. They're, they're based on these honestly very weird themes. Um, you've got things like Kamen Rider X-Aid, which are based on the cr- dueling themes of video games and like medical drama. Uh, and then you've got these older school ones that are like, you know, it's a bug motif and and we're using that to tell, you know, uh, a, a story and it goes, you know, everything in between. Yeah. And in, in the very first Kamen Rider in 1971, an evil organization captures this college student and they're going to turn him into a grasshopper monster because all their monsters are based on animals. Yes. But, but, but halfway through the procedure, he breaks free and becomes a hero working against them. And if that sounds a little bit like Cyborg 009, right down to the evil organization, you're that observation is totally fair. You're not wrong. <laughs> At least they came by it honestly, being the same creator. Um, yeah. But uh, it's it's a really fun series. It is definitely like it is a you know aimed at kids, but adults you know tend to love it. There's this amazing design around it. There's some really good human stories that end up getting getting told in it. Um, it's so you know wide and varied and fascinating that you know I, I can't get enough common writer in my life. Uh, if you ever see me on any video content, you'll see like models and, and whatnot behind me. But something that's been very prominent in more recent years, and by recent years, I mean like what, 20 years, um, are crossovers. Um, every, every year you get some kind of crossover between like last year's Common Rider and this year's Common Rider, because each season is basically a self-contained story featuring its own heroes. But there are these little crossovers that are kind of kind of fan service almost. And then, you know, big anniversaries will get huge um, overlaps that feature you know, everyone up to that point, uh, a lot of times, and sometimes we'll even cross over with other, you know, semi-related shows. Oh, oh geez. Um, sometimes not even semi-related shows. And one of the common writer, yeah. go- in one of the common writer ghost crossover movies, they literally fight a giant Pac-Man and, uh, and, <laughs> and they end up allying with Pac-Man to defeat the enemy ghost because maybe you know this Pac-Man eats ghosts. <laughs> Little known fact. Good trivia for you. You think I'm telling a joke. That is 100% a theatrical film released in the neighborhood of 2016 to 2017. So, yeah, go check it out. It's an amazing it's an amazing series. It's over the top. It it can take itself seriously while never taking itself too seriously. And I think that crossover is where a lot of the potential is because everyone has their favorite writer, their favorite secondary writer, like their their favorite characters from these shows. And like adding all of them into one, you're making a, a a fighting game or a warrior's game or something like that at that point. But you take this small collection, you take a few series, mix them together, bring like a lot of characters from from those together. You can make an original story, but still have this um it's almost visual spectacle is almost as important as anything. Like the 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 quality of the action, which is why this almost would have to land in action RPG land. Um, and Common Rider's no no stranger to video games, but um, specifically landing, you know, something story driven, something um, RPG, something more flashy. Because I, when I a lot of times when I think of RPGs, I think that they are some of the more flashy games out there. You know, they've they've got the room for these big elaborate cutscenes, or 
Um, sometimes the move, since it's okay to just pause the game and play an, an elaborate move animation, they can get away with um, these these very you know well formed. You 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 see stock footage in a lot of tokusatsu shows. Common Rider tends to avoid it, but they use you know similar uh, attacks on a regular basis that are these big flashy iconic moves and i think like the visual spectacle of it fits so well and just the fact that you know this is this is a game for fans most most likely i can't imagine there being a ton of crossover appeal um which is why it's a dream game more than you know um i don't think it's something we'd ever see in the west if nothing else um (coughs) but for those fans you know you've got the shorthand already with these characters and it allows you to to tell stories within the context of characters that are already established. I, I have played one Common Rider game at length, and again, this it, is a friend's copy. But we basically just spent two evenings playing the hell out of this thing. And I'm I'm trying to. This is a couple of years ago, so I hope I'm not getting any details wrong. It's a it's it was Batch Ride War Genesis, and the idea was Common Rider. Uh, there was some villain that was traveling through time to disrupt the origin of every common Rider. So common Rider would never exist and the evil organization shocker could take over the world. But the two problems with the plan were uh, that common Rider ghost is already dead. So he can't be killed and interrupted. And also common Rider Deno uh, is, th- which is the time traveling common Rider uh, can't be erased from a timeline because of his unique powers. Common Rider Deno has a, a few similarities with link click when you were describing that to us. Uh, uh, yes. I, 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 I'm not surprised Wes maybe made a similar uh similar neurons firing in your brain but absolutely uh, but uh so like so like deno which is from the 2000s and ghost from the 2010s sort of team up to undo the timeline and fix it and recruit every other common rider to fight this this evil thing which is again a, a very amusing crossover idea and common rider has been deep into crossovers since the late 2000s i think i think the old ones like kuga and agito didn't really have crossovers they're their, their movies were sort of standalone movies. Yeah, but they, they were semi-connected of- by nature, but not in a big canon way. Yeah, but they, they started connecting them in, in a big canon way, maybe with Deno, which is 2007-ish? Yeah, I think that's arguably when they really kicked it in. Because I, I know there's a Kiva versus Deno movie, which is 07, 08, but, but we don't need to go in, deep into it. Uh, Kamen Rider has so many characters and has done crossover movies so many times and some crossover games so many times. One that was more rpg ability focused and not just a throw all of your toys into a box and shake the box up and see which ones pour out kind of idea would be really really good yeah we probably have to focus on a smaller number of common riders and not all 45 or 50 or however many there have been over the years again it's about there's been about between 30 and 35 seasons but a lot of seasons have multiple heroes so the number is much higher than 30 uh even if it was just recent ones or just old school ones or just an adaptation of Kamen Rider Black or some, which is an 80s one, yeah. um, like I would be into any of that, especially if it was RPG, especially if it had a lot of RPG elements and was, you know, translated into English. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I will always play a turn based RPG. If it were turn based, I'd be ecstatic. But I feel like they would almost feel required because it's such an action heavy series. Like they want those big melees that, that, uh, writers get into but you know it's it's a series that can do crossovers in a thoughtful way um and if there's one thing i dislike it's crossovers in a less than thoughtful way which sometimes common writer does more oh, yeah. famously a lot of dynasty warrior spinoffs do where it's just like oh a portal opened up and here's every 
Zelda character ever made. Yeah, I, I would never accuse a common writer show or production being lazy because a, a, a stupid amount of work goes into all of them. But yeah. sometimes the crossovers feel a little bit lazy, just like, hey, let's get all the suits that we still have in the in the Toei trailer that aren't water damaged and just throw them all out there. Yeah, uh, and I think I think there's room, especially when you're developing a game and there's such a life cycle, to have a really thoughtful crossover. And I should I would be remiss not to mention um, a couple of years ago, or I don't know how long, maybe it's several years ago by now. I don't understand time anymore. We did an episode on, on Chroma Squad, which is uh, it was yes. by, by a Brazilian studio and mostly a uh, an homage to Super Sentai. But Chroma Squad has three endings, and one of the endings is um, four of the five main characters go missing, so the fifth remaining one. Um, gains new powers and a motorcycle and the last chapter of the game is basically a common Rider chapter. Oh, wow. It's so lovely. It, it, it's a, a very, very cool idea. Um, and I, I did not play through that ending, but I did watch YouTube videos of the two endings I didn't do. And it was, uh, it, it tickled me ve- in a very specific way. <laughs> because I, again, I love Common Rider and Super Sentai. And while the two shows have a lot of similarities, there are enough differences uh, to, to be able to appreciate both and maybe unsurprisingly i appreciate both but i I think you know i would love to do a whole episode on common writer games but uh that would be a little selfish of me to do so even more selfish that of me doing that chroma squad episode so many years ago but um if common writer felt like west trying to directly appeal to me audra's last choice might also be a attempting to directly (laughs) appeal to me so audra what's your uh final adaptation idea for the episode it would actually be Street Fighter, which almost sounds really strange, but they actually did have a storytelling game. Oh, oh it doesn't sound strange. It, it, I, it, please continue. I mean, I would love... Uh, action RPG would be great, but I could also see a traditional RPG that has a Lagaya combo-based system where you input the combos. Oh, I like that. Yes. Oh, I like that a lot. Or maybe even like a little bit like uh, the on-foot fighting in Xenogears. Yes. Yeah, okay. Because people already, you could learn them and keep a record of which combos you've already mastered and combine them to make super moves. It would just be really fun. And if there's one thing Street Fighter's good at, it's super moves. (laughs) Yes. But only since uh, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. (laughs) I'd say that's long enough that we can call it an established pattern, though. (laughs) But how would they... Maybe you could spend extra MP to make a regular move into an EX move. Ooh, Ooh yes. Right. And, and, and if, I mean, you talk about character diversity. I mean, just the final version of, of Street Fighter 4 alone, I think, has about 50 oh or goodness. 55 characters in it. So you, you, are, you are spoiled for choice as to who makes it into the games. And I will play it as long as E-Honda is in it somehow, goddammit. Oh, he would have to be a main character. Either a main character or he runs a sauna that gives you some important boosts. Those are your two options. Yes, please. That will, that will take nothing less. But yeah, you just find it really fun to play through like a story mode for it. That's something I want out of like almost every fighting game is I just want more of that story front and center. I'm a sucker for fighting game stories because yes. you have to find a reason for this many characters to come together in something. And that is 
it delights me. Yeah, and, and again, fighting game stories are mostly very dumb, and and, and, yes. and usually afterthoughts. Some of the old in the, in the '90s and earlier, most of fighting game stories were located in the manual, reading the character backstories. But I, I mean, come, on, I mean, damned if I don't love a great like ending, like some slightly comic visual novel like scene. I, I recently played through the arcade modes of uh, several characters for King of Fighters 15, um, which, you know, came out in February. And, like, the when you beat the game with the Southtown team, or no, no, I should say with the with the Fatal Fury team, it's uh, Terry and Andy going on a double date with Blue Mary and Mai. And I'm like, I, I, I want a game that's just this. This is the best. <laughs> Please insert this directly into my veins. So, like, like, you have fighting games like Street Fighter or King of Fighters with just iconic casts. Like, like uh, even someone that doesn't play much Street Fighter can at least name a couple of the Street Fighter characters because, the, again, it's, yeah, I mean, it's Ryu or Chun-Li or... Yeah, Ryu or Chun-Li or, or, or M. Bison or, or something, right? But, uh, like, uh, like the, these iconic characters with pretty awesome character designs, like, if you picked 12 of them and threw them into a strategy RPG, I mean, I would play the hell out of that. It's, oh, my God. It's, it's, especially... Yeah. They shout their moves moves aloud every time they do them because that is something I love in every fighting game, like absolutely. And something that speaks to me because I am a superficial person at times. I, I I'm a sucker for like visual changes to your characters in games. So like if you've got a really robust equipment system, I'm a fan of that. Or if you've got characters with a lot of iconic costumes, that's something that yeah. appealed to me in like the X Men Legends games and the Marvel Ultimate Alliance games. You've certainly got that with Street Fighter too. Like. Mm-hmm. Please let me unlock it in the game instead of paying for it. But also, please let me be every variant of uh, of Ryu that's ever existed. Yeah, um, yes. maybe don't use the Street Fighter V fight money system that has you unlock characters piecemeal. Maybe don't do that. But, yes. have, but, but, but adding visual interest with costumes or move adjustments is very welcome. I agree. And I think they could even throw in rival schools characters. Sure. I mean, I mean, no, Akira made it into Street Fighter Five, so there's a precedent for it. Yeah. Um, and uh, oh shoot, uh, Kyosuke made it into Capcom versus SNK Two, and Batsu made it into Tatsunoko versus Capcom. So yeah, there's plenty of rival schools. Yeah. Uh, uh, pre- precedent, and maybe listeners, maybe maybe you've noticed this by now. I get a little bit weird about fighting game rosters, and have sometimes ex- ex- encyclopedic knowledge of old Capcom games from 15 years, 15 plus years ago. So yeah, talking about a potential street fighter RPG adaptation is 100% in my wheelhouse. Maybe don't bring back Sean from street fighter three. I don't think he, need, I don't think he needs to come back. <laughs> oh, nobody ever loves Sean. Nobody. He, he is maybe the most eye rolled character in street fighter history, but they, but they give put me his, Dan, please. They put his Sean's. Older oh yes. Si- Dan could be a, they put Sean's older sister into street fighter five. And now she's really well liked. Her name's Laura. Yep. Oh um, yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. It's like, wait a second. Based on street fighter lore, uh, Brazilians have electricity powers and we've never had a Brazilian jujitsu character. So let's make our previous Brazilian character, Sean have a sister with electric jujitsu. Boom. It's like, it's like Capcom. I love you. Never change. <laughs> uh, so, all right. Okay. If I'm talking about uh, uh, Brazilian electricity martial arts, maybe we should move on a little bit. Um, I have, uh, I, I do have one final idea here and it's a little bit related to street fighter. Cause it is a Capcom property. And it's, it's related to Common Rider because it is about a someone being modified to fight animal-based uh, uh, supervillains. Um, and, uh, and also, uh, it's uh, a video game series that I'm already aware has one or two RPG adaptations. Um, I want to talk about 
maybe my favorite platformer series of all time, Mega Man X. Not classic Mega Man, which I also love, or later Mega Man spinoffs like Legends or Zero, which I mostly like. But yeah, the original run of Mega Man X um, is one of my favorite things ever. I adore Mega Man X1 through X4. I like X, I like X5 uh, well enough and uh, and was pleasantly surprised by how non-bad X8 was. But let's not talk about XX or X7. Mega Man X like goes to the fundamental ideas of Mega Man where you're a robot who is smaller and less powerful than all your all the other villain robots. But every time you defeat a major villain, you gain their weapon. Mega Man X uh, made some twists on the Mega Man formula by ha- giving him uh, body part upgrades um, that you find throughout the game, and you're able to charge up your enemy weapons so that they transform and have and have different effects. And there's just more collectibles and more uh, and 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 more sort of uh, depth than older Mega Man games. And 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 again, like X one through X four, I adore and know backwards and forwards. X five, I like a lot. X eight, I like a lot. X six and X seven, no thanks. But and Mega Man X did have an RPG adaptation called Mega Man X Command Mission for I believe PS two, GameCube, and Xbox. Uh, I know PS two and GameCube. But and and that was pretty good. Where you have the three sort of main Mega Man X characters, uh, X zero and Axel, plus a couple uh, new characters like uh, Cinnamon, the mega, the the uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the medic robot. And I believe there's a gambler robot named Spider. If I'm yep. if memory serves, he he gambits it up pretty hard. That's right. So there's a plus a couple more. Um, and and that as a as a concept, uh, great as execution, just maybe okay. <laughs> but uh, that's fair. My, my vision for Mega Man Mega Man X hasn't had a, a new game in its series. I'm not not counting the mobile versions like Mega Man Dive. Um, it hasn't had a new game since X8, which was a uh, a late PS2 game. So something like 15 years ago, maybe longer. Uh, and I, I, what I think I want out of a Mega Man X game is I'm, I'm maybe the, I'm being influenced by recency bias, but I think of what are maybe the two best reviewed games of the past six or seven years. Uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring. <laughs> so, oh my goodness, right, we're so, going here. Yeah, so in, in Vision, the, a classic Mega Man or Mega Man X boss select screen, but instead of eight bosses... It's eight. It's eight. It's eight large maps, and you basically you from your mission control you jump into a map, and in each map there are hidden upgrades, maybe three or four uh, classic bosses, each of which confer a weapon. Maybe some classic, some new, newly designed for the game, and basically just giving you an open world Mega Man where you can find as much equipment and weapons and items as you can. The more you explore. Uh, with with uh, no no true leveling up, but uh, but just a, a, a wealth of customization options th- uh, for a, a, like a Mega Man of the 2020s. And I, I don't need to go too deep into theory crafting for this, but I think that a Mega Man that gave players some freedom in gameplay choice and also made w- weapons the kind of thing that you can use freely instead of trying to conserve your weapon energy like like a like a like a bleary-eyed hoarder because again i mean many Mega Man players including myself sometimes just does mega buster all the time unless the boss is weak against it kind of deal yep yeah but like something that gives you a lot of weapon customization and freedom and skill customization and armor customization j- going into maybe maybe this is a slightly mario 64 thing like eight medium-sized or even small open worlds instead of one giant contiguous open world because i still want that Mega Man X select screen <laughs> yeah and make so, them dense like you can be small but dense yeah and i'm pretty thinking, cool I mean, like at least 30 bosses that give you weapons some new some classic uh maybe like some secret ultimate badass mission that has you fight 
I don't know, like like Vile with the right armor from X three or uh, or Colonel from X four. <laughs> like like I, I don't I don't care. Um, like, like just a Mega Man X open semi open world game with a lot of customization and some homages and references would be maybe my dream video game. Full stop. And there's this there's this history that that really speaks to some of that customization. Like the idea that armor customization in Mega Man X has always been a big thing, and it's become you know in later. Uh, entries it becomes more and more prominent where it's not just i'm upgrading my armor but you have some choices uh, uh that are going to affect how you play a little bit all of these different super moves that they add the different weapons man uh i would never have thought of this but it's a surprisingly good fit it wouldn't even have to be 2d if it's if it's 3d over the shoulder uh, vaguely like a ratchet and clank game or uh, i don't know jet force gemini or something i'll play that too i just i really think there's a lot of potential in a Mega Man open world game especially specifically Mega Man x i'm with you like i don't Isn't know anything else but yeah that sounds awesome actually and uh, geez what was the last proper Mega Man x sighting we had i'm 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 slightly ashamed to think it was maybe his inclusion in marvel versus capcom infinite that's what i was just thinking i think yeah. that might be the last time again outside of mobile games yeah, again, Mega Man, I think Mega Man X Dive, or maybe it's just Mega Man Dive, is doing pretty well. But I do not need another gacha in my life. I'm already devoting way too much of my life to the one gacha I indulge in. Um, but uh, I don't I don't need another. And I'm not trying to platform on touch controls. My hands yeah, can't do it. Yeah. They're old and infirmed. I'm not going to pick a platform for my theoretical Mega Man X open world game, but I, my vote is not mobile phones. I think that's a blanket statement. <laughs> for for all injuries today, let's just go ahead and say that. Well, all right. Each of us uh, presented three ideas for a potential uh, adaptation into a th- hypothetical future RPG. But I did say there was going to be one surprise at the end. And uh, so I'm going to explain that a little bit. It, we just mentioned Marvel vs. Capcom a short time ago. And I, I think I even mentioned Marvel vs. SNK and Tatsunoko vs. Capcom before. Because, again, I love Capcom fighting games. And we even mentioned Kamen Rider crossovers. Uh, there is a history of video game crossovers, like in Namco X Capcom is a pretty good um, uh, RPG, one of those. I want you to take two fictional worlds, doesn't have, can be something brand new or something we've already discussed, and come up with an idea of just a crossover RPG <laughs> between, those, between those worlds and what kind of game it would be. Oh, what have you done to us, Mike? What have you done to us? Oh wow! This is this is a big ask. It's not very fair. So I'm gonna go first. Uh, and you know, we did talk about how fighting games have ridiculous stories that are all not very fleshed out within games a lot of the time. Uh, I, I think maybe the 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 best fighting game story that has a lot of continuity and a lot of drama and a lot of character diversity is maybe surprisingly coming from a Capcom head like me. Uh, I think it's Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat has developed yeah. a, a really oh, wow. epic, yeah. a really epic saga over the years uh, with some spinoffs, but but really it's the uh, Mortal Kombat nine X eleven trio in the 2010s have really established what the Mortal Kombat canon is because Mortal Kombat nine back in the uh, in the PS3 days really is an adaptation of Mortal Kombat one two and three reinterpreted. Um, so like Mortal Kombat has done very well with their story design over the years. So a Mortal Kombat RPG crossed over with, wait for it, Uh-oh. uh, 
I, I think I have to cross o- cross it over with something like Dark Souls or End- Elden Ring. <laughs> Because when I think <laughs> oh, of that, yeah. makes sense. Yep. When I yeah, when I think of a bleak, brutal RPG that's very gameplay focused, I, I that's what I think of. Like uh, imagine you pl- uh, playing a, an Earthrealm soldier or a Lin Kuei assassin or an an Adenian warrior or something going around an open world fighting a bunch of Mortal Kombat characters <laughs> in the <laughs> in the sort of brutal dark world of recent uh, from software. I think that's the kind of action RPG that a uh, that Mortal Kombat deserves. So like like, and maybe there's throwing some Elden Ring or or a Dark Souls classic um, monsters and bosses in there as well. Like having a having I don't know like maybe you've defeated Sub Zero and Scorpion, so you have Scorpion Spear and Sub Zero's ice powers, and you have to fight Seif the Giant Wolf from Dark Souls. I, I think that sounds like something that would make a few gamer bla- brains explode um, in the in the in the 2020s. So that, that's my idea for a crossover. Uh, either Wes or Audra, wh- what's your idea for a ridiculous off-the-cuff crossover? I had an idea for one that I was going to add to my list uh, that we discussed briefly, but I didn't have a good way to like connect it as a full-featured game. And this crossover just hit the nail on the head so perfectly. Um, Bring it. So Final Fantasy loves to take itself very seriously and really like play up the melodrama. And they also love big production value. They want to... I think if they could like cast stars for their games and have it like, okay, this character is just this movie actor. I think that they would like pull the trigger if they could like pull that off for an entire game. Um, And I say we give them the chance by uh, crossing over Final Fantasy with uh, the Blood and Ice Cream or or Cronetto trilogy from Edgar Wright. Oh, yeah. Um, Listeners, that's Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz and and uh, At World's End. Three very, Thank very you. fun, very good movies. And I, I say you take that style that you have from the, the that Cornetto trilogy where um, everything is, is like played up big time. It is definitely a comedy, but it still works as its own individual story. It still wants you to believe like Hot Fuzz still wants to say, like, you can watch this as an action movie. Shaun of the Dead still wants to say you can watch this as a zombie movie, even though that's not really the point when you look at it and apply that writ large to the melodrama of Final Fantasy. Um, even, even do the casting, like give me the four warriors of light as, uh, uh, Simon Pegg, um, Nick Frost, Patty Considine and, uh, Jessica Stevenson or something like, give me those big time Edgar Wright collaborators that have been in a, a lot of their stuff. Give me those as the warriors of light and, and riff on the very concept of this melodrama while still telling human stories about those characters, which is something Final Fantasy wants to do anyways. Uh, I, I think that the crossover has unlocked the hidden power of the Cornetto trilogy RPG. Now, they would obviously have to have ice creams as the healing item. Yes. Um, but I, I hope that like dragging Final Fantasy characters into an action movie basically isn't describing Strangers of Paradise or Stranger of Paradise. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I need I, this to play like a traditional Final Fantasy if I want it to okay, work. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I want this to be like close to ps1 era maybe um where it's like that traditional turn based you can you can you can evolve it we've had a lot of good turn based since then but i i need a, this to be turn based and like stro- uh uh cutscene heavy and side quest heavy like i need commentary on every bit of the traditional final fantasy formula to be built up in this story i mean i mean i love edgar wright movies and i love final fantasy so somehow mashing those together is fascinating although a little confusing i'm <laughs> I've got a picture in my head and it it is wild but I there is nothing I love more than wildly ambitious um projects that might not be able to pull it off. 
All right, so that was uh, Wes's uh, pitch for Final Fantasy X uh, Cornetto or Blood and Ice Cream trilogy is, is what I always called it. Um, Audra, what is your idea for a crossover RPG to end the episode? Ooh, um, actually, I it's a weird one, but probably Eve with um, Pirates of Dark Water. Oh, oh. right. Oh, yes. Oh, Pirates of Dark Water. Okay, okay. First Bring of all, it home, Audra. Uh, Audra, before you go into this, I legit considered putting Pirates of Dark Water on my list, like just for the regular part of this episode. Not, No kidding. Because as a child, I was furious. They were looking for, I think, 13 treasures to stop the And they the dark- only found a couple. They only found seven, and then they ended the series. I yeah. was so mad at Hanna-Barbera at the time for doing that to me. But anyway, please continue. Pirates of Dark Water cross E's. <laughs> It would be, you'd have like all the Adel and all the Eve characters, and you could just kind of throw in the general plot of Dark Water with the with the Dark Water attacking the land and stuff, and just I could see it being a good mishmash kind of adventure. Yeah, it, it was a fantasy adventure slash pirate uh, cartoon from the late '80s, early '90s, uh, done by Hanna Barbera Studio. That probably I don't know, probably some of the same Thundar the Barbarian, uh, Herculoids kind of people. Um, where there was a, a, a black morass of water that was slowly swallowing the whole world like an evil sentient oil slick or something. And, and most of the characters were uh, maritime-based. It was They were sailors and pirates and evil pirates, and they would go from island to island going on adventures looking for the 13 treasures that could stop the dark water. It ended prematurely, very frustrating to me, but there's one problem with your, ide- your idea, Audra, that's because because it's Adol Kristen on a water world full of boats, it would only last one episode. <laughs> so that would be he could shipwreck, and that would how he how he'd meet everyone. Sure, yeah, probably, and I, I'm sure uh, Dogie can carry him to shore or or, <laughs> or carry him to a to a friendly ship. What impresses me is that like the the sense of and definition of adventure in those two properties is so similar. Like it just it just fits together so well. Yes. Like what adventure means to Adol is very similar to like what adventure means in the Pirates of Dark Water as a whole. Yes. I'm not kidding. I almost had Pirates of Dark Water on my list instead of Redwall. Like no joke. I, I thought about oh. it. It's like eh, eh, I don't know if there's enough juice here. I'll I'll, I'll think I'll find something else. But yeah, you, you brought us. us home. Yeah, you brought us home, Audra. <laughs> Absolutely. Yay. But okay, uh, if I am talking about my childhood frustrations with a early 90s Hanna-Barbera cartoon, maybe it's time to end the episode. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us on discussion of uh, 12 plus intellectual properties that we would like to see adapted into RPGs. This is a a goofy, what's the right word here? A a goofy fan casting episode that's all all hypothetical and, and none concrete, but this is the kind of thing that's fun to talk about. So we might as well podcast about it. Um, but listeners, if you want to find out what else we're podcasting about in the, uh, in the months of March and April, I'm here for you next week. I think we're doing, I'm again, I'm trying to suss out the schedule here next week. I believe is our episode on salt and sanctuary, the action RPG. That's a lot dark souls and a little, uh, Metroidvania to cap off our Metroidvania March month month of March Metroidvania. I'm not sure what the right order of alliteration is there, but uh, that's a game that I finished pretty recently. 
but and have a lot of thoughts about. So that's going to be a very inter interesting episode to record very soon. And in April, we haven't planned out most of the month yet, but uh, we are going to have two episodes on Final Fantasy 13, a game that perhaps surprisingly, because I've played a lot of RPGs, have not played at all. I played less than 30 minutes of, of the Final Fantasy 13 trilogy in my life. So I'm going to be making a sincere attempt at it very soon. So uh, excited. Oh boy. Well, we'll see how far I get. I hope I can keep up my streak of actually finishing games for the podcast. But we'll, uh, Final Fantasy 13 is our official game journal for April. But listeners, if you want to reach out to us about Final Fantasy 13 or Salt and Sanctuary or Metroidvania games or Pirates of Dark Water or anything else, the best way to reach us is to email retro at rpgfan.com. You can also comment on the RPG Fan message boards, visit our Facebook page, our Discord, our YouTube, our Twitch, our Twitter. Anything called RPG Fan or RPG Fancom is typically us. We also have three other fine podcasts on RPG Fan. Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness. Rhythm Encounter every two weeks about RPG music. And Phoenix Edge currently on high hiatus our partner podcast hosted by Hatton eric usually recorded live on youtube usually about current events and rpgs you can review retro encounter or those other three on apple podcasts google play spotify whatever venue you choose we will be there please leave feedback we love feedback but listeners if you want to reach out to us individually and not as a website or a podcast let's tell them how starting with you wes uh for the most part your best bet is to find me at wes Iliff on twitter uh, that'll link you to everything else now audra Adrabi at rpgfan.com. Now Salosi. Hey, uh, you can find me on on social media for the most part on Twitter. I am at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times, and on RPG Fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. So uh, thank you so much, Wes and Audra, for getting real weird about things <laughs> from our childhood or recent adulthood and how oh, they might it. make a great RPG. Um, and yes, somehow we managed to link Kamen Rider, Cyborg 09, and Mega Man X together, and I didn't even plan it that way. <laughs> it's mysterious. <laughs> Listeners, thank you, good night, and good luck. <laughs>